The sounds are so faint, they barely stir the air, but in the surrounding quiet you feel each gentle, fading hum, the way they overlap in the belly of the instrument. They become more pronounced, louder the more you come to your senses, until the room is shivering with song, you along with it. You suddenly remember being a child once upon a many times. Sometimes you were kissed goodnight, and sometimes you had to fend for yourself. Sometimes you were read a story, while in others you fell asleep playing video games by the light of a television. Do you remember those? There were times you had a sibling, more than one even, and times you were an only. Did you ever wear out a cassette, a CD, listening to it on repeat to fall asleep? Every strange yet benign dream, a relief. You weren't asleep this time, that much you know. You were somewhere or some when else, lost in thought, in a recollection that may or may not have been your own. The song ends on a trailing note, and you train your attention on Spirit's face as they begin signing, eyes alight with significance. This, every part of it, is a vision, a shared scene for the mind's eye. A long stained glass window set into the wall past Spirit's head is darkened with the lack of sunlight, rain running in rivulets down its delicate panels from the other side. You are certain, strange as it might seem, that it was not there the last time you had been sitting where you are now. The carefully beveled edges of its panes and their muted colors obscure the grounded landscape that lies beyond the window, but you are more interested in what the glass depicts. Set amidst a backdrop of purplish-black, a swirling outpouring of color roils in soft gradients, blended through the careful application of thumbnail-sized bits of glass. This storm of a nebula has been reproduced with a small nexus of frosted white glass anchoring it in the frame. It gives the rest of the billowing cosmic clouds the likeness of wings. The glass appears to ripple almost with the running water from outside, which makes the scene it depicts seem all the stranger, more mesmerizing. You wonder, idly, what it would look like lit up during golden hour, or else under particularly bright moonlight, this sliver of cosmic energy, a mysterious scene from somewhere in deep space, or a figment of some artisan's imagination. The more you turn these two possibilities over in your mind, the more you come to think that, on some level, they might point to the same truth. If the tangible universe and its collective imagination share the same property of being without known limit, then perhaps they are, indeed, the same thing. You consider anew the peculiarity of the sentient mind, a pocket of unlimited space housed in a finite body cradled in unlimited space. The mystery is in how a finite body manages to house even temporarily a part of the infinite. Is each life a new space, or are they borrowed cupfuls of the original, poured back with careful reverence as soon as the life that housed them has been spent? This you do not know. But you wonder at the mystery of it, transfixed by the sight of the stained glass that sparked your musing to begin with. Spirit's hand waving draws your attention back to them. Imagine for me the sound you feel you felt an age ago today.
Spirit gives you a searching look, but signs nothing more, instead settling the lyre back into position on their lap and starting another melody, a song. You think back to the sound strata tunnel, recall the elation and terror that tumbled out of you at the strange feel it blew into the atmosphere. The melody spirit is playing swells softly, and you look more closely at the vibration of the strings against their fingertips, at the way it seems to reveal their inherent translucence for split seconds at a time, over and over like a beautiful jamming signal. You are so mesmerized by the sight that you don't notice the approaching dog until it is sitting, looking over into the lowered seating area, its claws resting just shy of the edge. It stares at you looks into you in a way that feels oddly familiar. You don't manage to place the sensation until the dog averts its eyes, turning its snout back in the direction it had come from as its ears perk up. It whines softly, tail sweeping side to side against the wooden floor, and then hops to its feet in anticipation. The last time you'd seen this dog, she had been a cat. You would give this shock of recognition further thought, but for the fact that even spirit has stopped playing to train their eyes in the same direction as the dogs. Rain hits the cottage from all sides, coming to you as soft as the faint crackle being emitted by the fire shifting in the grate. Then, out of the shadowed back corner of the room, a hand looms, reaching out towards the light, its digits pointed and darker than the deepest of nights. At this, the dog darts forward to catch the palm of that hand with its forehead, leading it further out of the shadows and into the room proper. You watch with a measure of trepidation as the hand becomes a limb, becomes a humanoid figure, but your sense of unease only grows with this reveal. You tell yourself it is the distance, the quality of the light, but some part of your intuition prickles with certainty that neither of those two things are to blame for what you now see, or don't see. It does not have a face. It does not seem to have features of any kind. And yet the dog does not appear to share any part of your trepidation, still guiding the figure over to the seating area with the gentle momentum of its forward gait. When they reach the edge of the cushioned seating area, the dog lets out a small huff of a whine as it ducks out of the figure's hold, and then lies down on the hardwood floor at Spirit's back, settling its chin onto its paws, the tip of its dark, glistening nose just shy of brushing against Spirit's shoulder. It licks its lips, gives you another glance with its glittering eyes, and then closes them, content. The dog has the bearing of a serene Anubis, off-duty and wondering at the mechanics of leisure, at all the ways in which that realm of rest is tangentially related to its own eternal one. But the figure... At this proximity, your train of thought with sense and reason as stowaways reaches a dead end. That which stands in wait before you now is something not of this world, nor perhaps even of the next. It has brought the shadows with it, a walking abyss dotted in pinpricks of light, and you feel a thrill of fear at this physical impossibility, though by this time you have seen a great many of those. There is a truly unfathomable depth to this humanoid figure, as though they are not so much an organism, but rather the absence of matter, like a hole punched straight through the planet that you all occupy, 
You cannot bring yourself to look elsewhere despite the existential terror that simmers in you with each passing second. Your gaze is drawn in as if by some sibling force of gravity. The longer you look, however, the better your mind adjusts to the reality of staring into an abyss, and the more detail you begin to pick out within it. The entity reaches out to place a hand on Spirit's shoulder for stability, finding it as if by instinct, and with this touch creates a sense of dimension that you can perceive and understand. From the figure's fingertips rises a plume of smoke in a wispy gray, spreading over their palm, then up through their arm, changing tone and color as it fans out. Filaments light up along the figure's limbs, soft and far away, tiny hairs winking in and out of existence. Logic tells you that the nebulous cloud and its developing gradients of gold, of violet, of blue-green should be on the surface of their skin, that it should behave like smoke and waft up into the open air. But it doesn't. The haze deepens further and seems strangely distant, even while it takes up so much space. It seems so colossal. Your gaze darts over to the stained glass window, an instinct of sorts. The cloud cover has made it so dark outside now that every little pane of glass looks nearly black, opaque in the storm. But for that, the image it depicts may as well be a likeness of the vaporous substance that still spreads through the entity— albeit a romantic, impressionistic one. You look back, and in that split second of inattention, the cloud of ethereal smoke is already rolled up into the entity's chest, the pinpricks of light there burning, you think, all the brighter. It is as impossible as it is beautiful, and less terrifying a sight than it had seemed at first. Spirit stops plucking at the lyre's strings. The figure seems to reach down and pull gently forward as if drawing something invisible over first one limb, then the other. Their incomprehensible depth of form becomes shrouded under a layer of the room's atmosphere made visible, softening its edges and containing it in a way that makes it seem less alien. Under this strange, filmy skin, the smoke nevertheless continues to move, an alternative to blood flow. It makes of the entity a jellyfish from the depths of an ocean as yet unexplored. More mysterious still, from a faraway time, its voice unwinds softly in the air between you. I think night is about to fall. When it reaches you, the voice is a familiar one, though the figure does not have a mouth in any sense of the word. One-handed, spirit agrees with the pronouncement. That is so. I have felt it since the first. Aura seeks clarity, and for this mortal wound, only a heart-deep understanding of the psyche will suffice. The familiar voice wafts back into the room from that impossibly faraway place. As ever, spirit speaks true. You have the sound mind of a sage, open to considering, to possibility, to the strange, the unknown, the wondrous. Your soul is no different. And what is the heart if not the mind bathed in candlelight? That is why you came here, darling. For refuge... On the other side of this panoplexion is grace enough to find the wisdom in your circumstance. 
which not which moves to step down into the cushioned seating area, and while their figure does seem like less of a physical impossibility under their atmospheric shroud, the sight is still a strange one to behold. Their face, what you imagine must be their face, is the only uncovered part of their body, barely visible under a hood. But from this new angle, you notice a growing collection of distant lights there. Imagine that they are clusters of galaxies forming, and wonder again whether you have been given a window with which to look out into the depths of space. One light in particular catches your attention as it grows brighter than the rest, before suddenly growing dim, blinking out of, and then back into existence. An eye, you think. The dog makes a snuffling sound, and then begins brushing its tail against the floor softly in reaction to the way that spirit has angled the lyre away from their lap to make space, opening their arms in invitation. Come to me, I still carry your visions on the palms of my hands. Monarch, come close, and in great depths will I play out our realms of time, of memory. The being named Monarch, who you feel certain must once have called itself a witch, lowers to all fours on the cushions, arching, then lengthening their back in a slow stretch. Spirit reaches down with their free hand to gently pull back Monarch's hood, and just as fingertips brush past their strange, cut-out depth of a forehead, you are astonished to see what you can only think of as clouds painted in shifting sunset colors suddenly appearing in midair to obscure their face. Hair, you can't help but think, tufted and floating like a mirage, fading as spirit draws their hand away again. Monarch crawls to their lap and leans forward, touching their face to spirit's knee as if pressing a feather-light kiss there over their otherworldly garments. You watch and wonder as the lights dotting the inner landscape of Monarch's profile brighten and dim, all the while a muted cacophony of color roiling beneath the fabric covering Spirit's knee. And with that, Monarch does lie down, cushioning their head against Spirit's thigh. Spirit relaxes the lyre comfortably against their other side again, and with their free hand reaches down to rest their palm protectively over the space where you imagine Monarch's heart might, at times, lie. At the touch, Spirit's hand wavers into a state of translucence, and then within their palm a ribbon of color not unlike an aurora borealis uncoils and branches apart to flow up and away underneath the sleeve of their night-sky garment, all green and red, ethereal purple-blue. Shifting minutely in place, Monarch reaches up and with a fingertip traces the outer shell of Spirit's ear, the contour of their jaw, their lip their chin, and the length of their neck, a line of hazy liquid smoke floating and expanding as if underwater in the wake of the fingertip's path. Monarch's thumb brushes against a collarbone as their fingertip lingers with affection in the hollow of spirit's throat, the smoke pooling there beneath translucent skin, condensing into ink so red, so black, so purple-blue you think it must actually be blood. And yet, Spirit looks nothing if not serene. It is as though Spirit's vitality has been made perceivable, lit by the pinpricks of light, the starscape that lies in some profound way beyond Monarch's fingertip. 
Theirs is as pure a soul as you are likely to find. But, darling, please do not make the mistake of conflating purity with innocence. Purity is a distillation, careful, of wisdom and discernment, the result of being boiled in a trial of hot water, the matter that transforms after having been crushed under pressure thought unbearable. Please, do not conflate purity with naivete. Why think of purity as being a blank slate, when instead it is the state that comes after having experience, healing, gaining maturity? Purity is not morally good or bad. It is simply a condition whose quality depends upon its context. When spirit pulls their hand away to begin quietly tuning the strings of the lyre, you catch a glimpse of a prismatic afterimage dissolving underneath monarch's atmosphere of a second skin, of the quiet plucking over the sound of the fire in the hearth. The rain falling outside, Monarch lets their own hand fall back to the cushions, the inky smoke fading from view as Spirit's skin regains its opacity. The juxtaposition of the depths of their forms is at once incongruent and wholly mesmerizing. Night falls. This is the way of things, so that day may then break as the planet spools to gather all of our yarns together, the telling of them having been, as ever, so strange, so commonplace. Though why land on those expressions, I have long wondered, when sun, moon, and sky remained day by day whole. The mortal imagination is a fascinating province, one that we together brought into being, and yet neither one of us can fully understand it a feat as miraculous as it is bizarre. But that is beside the point. Life has not been kind to you, and then again it has. There is yet more time left for you if you would choose it. As the words, their cryptic invitation blends with the careful tuning of the strings, you notice a rivulet of liquid running down the side of Monarch's head, a long spirit's thigh, and then down into the cushions below. For a moment, you think you must have imagined it, when suddenly liquid surges behind Monarch's head, parting and flowing around it as though Monarch's head were a smooth stone splitting a ghostly stream in two. Though the liquid is as dark as the cosmos it seems to spring from, it glints with flashes of phantasmagoric color, falling into spirit's lap and off into the cushions only to disappear. That you have stayed in this place for this long, your curiosity never waning, is a testament to your character. You could easily have rejected this vision, tumbled back into your body, and... <sighs> of course you have a body, darling... Every mortal does, a discrete collective of particles to house the infinite depths of your soul, a paradox of a vessel, sustaining itself on the energy of its own contradictory premise. The fire in the hearth crackles, under which you can make out the soft, deliberate sounds of spirit and monarch's breathing. The dog gives another contented huff from where it dozes, curled around spirit's back. Spirit begins playing a simple melody, as if to test the tuning of the strings, which makes you wonder at the way the breaths seem to integrate with the notes filling the ponderous silence. And then you wonder why it is that these entities breathe at all. Do they need to? 
Then again, perhaps, that is beside the point. When listening to it all, it is as if you are being held, being comforted, the breathing enveloping you in the same feather-light way that the music does. Overhead, rain continues to pelt the roof. Though this sound, too, is soft by way of the moss, the grasses, the flowering plants that grow up there. Have you ever considered what it means to breathe? Not every mortal organism does this, you understand, but in those places where organisms breathe, they breathe together, or not at all. It seems so very personal, even private, to pull breath through the body, and yet it is a communal exchange of particles with a body of liquid or atmosphere with those of other mortal organisms. The currency of breath is such that it can be held only for a short while before the body expels it for another organism to take in as sustenance. A body of liquid or atmosphere seems impossibly huge, often invisible and removed from the self, but all breathing organisms participate in its maintenance in the conditions that allow for their collective existence at an instinctive level. Their fellows breathe because they breathe, because the vegetation breathes, because they breathe. More to the point, were you born of another? Were you to go back to your most ancient of ancestors, even their existence would have been due to another entity, or a moment of pure chance. Perhaps you have grown complex with time. Perhaps you have lost complexity. Each life exists in its own discrete way, in its own time, no more or less important than another. This can be a difficult notion to accept. This... Leveling of the paradigm of existence, and even we are not so different from you in that respect. Perhaps we set in motion, in some way, the cycle of your life, but how did we come to be? It is possible that we always were and have been, however comforting the idea of a clear beginning and end might be. But order and definition is the province of the mind, not of the universe, circular thing that it is, any hierarchy is an imagined one. The well-trodden melody ends and spirit presses their fingertips to monarch's face tenderly over the spot where you imagine lips might be. You can make out the very faint sound of breath curling around their digits to reach open air. Spirit shifts their fingertips ever so slightly, as if searching by feel for a plume of stardust or a constellation to follow, and at this gentle touch, monarch, still breathing into spirit's fingertips, causes another ribbon-like aurora to bloom, the way a dying ember in charcoal grows bright again with oxygen. A kiss of a kind you've never elsewhere seen the like of. As before, you notice a glittering afterimage of spirit's palm print fade, sink into monarch's mind made visible. Meanwhile, spirit's skin, where it has been kissed, still pulses and flickers with the wisp of heavenward light when they move their hand back into position on their instrument in order to prepare to play in earnest. Their fingertips perch on the strings, waiting, monarch's would-be hair running like a river below them both. From your vantage point, 
You can't make out what it is, but monarchs sign something up at Spirit, holding the utterance close to their chest. Spirit looks down at the other entity with a dry sort of expression, emoting something just shy of exasperated amusement. Monarch's face then clouds over with far-off whorls of star formation, debris catching on equally far-off sources of light and twinkling, and you think this must be laughter or something like it. Shifting somewhat in Spirit's lap, Monarch's signing at last becomes visible to you. Of course you do. May I lead? At the question, Spirit's face softens, and they reply by way of an almost imperceptible nod. Monarch nuzzles their fellow entity's thigh, and then looks back up, raising their hands once more in order to sign a profoundly simple statement. Thank you, my love.